0: in the summertime when the weather is high, you can stretch right up and brush the sky when the weather's fine you got women you got women on your mind
1: i'm gonna say it was the summer of 1972 mungo jerry in the summertime how close was i their producer jeff forche
2: uh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> a way to start it off. Trust
1: me, it's Mungo Jerry, I can tell you that. Well,
2: thank, yeah, no, it is Mungo Jerry.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tristan, and it was 1971 or 72. I can't remember. Great hit, though. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Kelly Moore in for Hal Anderson, who will be back tomorrow. As a matter of fact, he'll be joining you from the Red River X. And... Uh, uh, I have to dispense with all the, the normal hi how you doing how's it going type of thing because Scott Oak of hockey night in Canada is literally at the gate as we speak ready to uh, board a flight from Vancouver to his home in Winnipeg after hosting the uh, award show or being part of the hosting uh, of the award show last night in Las Vegas for the NHL. And uh, Scott, I have to say that uh, certainly uh, with what I watched, at least, uh, that uh, you and your colleague uh, from Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman, uh, for my money, uh, were part of the highlight of that award show.
3: It certainly was. But we uh, can't overlook uh, the, the the fact that there were two other very moving tributes to the uh, victims of the Parkland, uh, Florida shooting, and uh, Las Vegas uh, mass shooting of October. But for Canadians, the one that really resonated, obviously, was the the Humboldt Broncos uh, survivors uh, being reunited uh, in Las or I should say in Las Vegas for. Uh, the awards, in fact, they were there uh, a day before the award ceremony. It was the first time that they'd been back together as a group, and uh, it was special. Uh, most t- touching of all, I would say, was uh, Christina Hogan's uh, acceptance speech for the Willie O'Ree Award. Uh, it wasn't a dry eye in the house after, I don't think, and uh, all of, the, of the, the surviving members of the Broncos were visibly moved, and uh, it was special.
1: Yeah, that you're, you are right. Uh, and I can't believe that she was able to maintain her composure uh, while she was offering thanks for her late husband Darcy receiving uh, and becoming the first-ever recipient of the well, you know, re award, I, I thought that was uh, incredible in itself, but just her strength as a person, Scott, uh, was, uh, was remarkable.
3: Incredible, and I did have the opportunity to talk to her during the uh, conference final uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, the Golden Knights flew her and her two sons, Jackson and Carson, to, uh, to Vegas to be their guests for uh, a game. And uh, I was struck then by uh, her strength, her, her incredible you know, courage, uh, carrying on now as uh, uh, the mother of those two children, and and uh, doing all she can to to move forward. Uh, we saw, you know, stunning evidence of that in her acceptance speech last night. Scott,
1: what was it like for you emotionally? I mean, you've been in so many different situations whether it's uh you know after a game with a team that has lost on the ice with a team that has won uh you know all sorts of different types of uh, scenarios but would last night because of the emotion that was involved and because of who was involved was would that rank as a first uh, in your stellar career
3: yeah i think so because you're right most times uh the uh, celebration of the stanley cup is uh is special, uh, you know, on the ice with the, the winning team, and and their families are often there, and that was the case uh, this year when Washington won in Las Vegas. Uh, so I always remember those. I can uh, recount, uh, I guess probably the last twenty, and how special they've been. But I've never been uh, in a situation where you're, uh, you know, part of a ceremony to uh, to honor the victims uh, and the survivors of a of, of a tragedy like. The Humboldt bus crash, I mean, I remember the night it happened. Uh, it was April the 6th, and we were getting ready for our last regular season game in Edmonton. The Canucks were in Edmonton, and uh, our director and I went to a restaurant uh, across the street from the hotel. It's a popular restaurant for, uh, for players to go er, from visiting teams because it's so close to the hotel. and uh, They usually stay in the same hotel as us, and uh, word had started to spread just as we sat down that there had been this, this uh, horrific bus crash, and there may have been fatalities. Uh, and the Canucks had rented uh, an entire side of the restaurant um, to honour Daniel Henrik Sedin. In fact, it was Daniel Henrik Sedin who had rented the uh, the space and, and invited uh, scouts, trainers, everybody, the entire organisation just about to come to this, uh, this farewell dinner for them. And um, the place went quiet. And uh, there wasn't... I, I, I could measure the concern um, of the of the Canucks because word had got to them too by the fact that uh, there wasn't i don't think i heard a word said in that room for the next 20 or 30 minutes when the news broke uh, so kelly it simply was the greatest tragedy in the history of canadian sports and uh, you know we um, will never forget uh, what happened and uh, ceremonies like last night's uh, are important
1: you must have been just uh, and I want to use the right uh, terminology here, honoured. I was going to say thrilled, pleased, excited, but I think honoured that it was yourself and Elliot who were asked to be uh, the MCs for that part of the, uh, the award ceremony.
3: Well, I think the way that uh, the evening was scripted, it made sense uh, because they had uh, NBC Sportsnet uh, commentators um, MC the uh, ceremonies for the Parkland Shooters, or the the victims of the Parkland shooting, and uh, and and the NHL Network people uh, for the Vegas uh, uh, remembrance, and so you know they got the two Canadian guys out uh, for the for the humble bus grass ceremony, and uh, yeah, it, it was an honor to do it.
1: I know you have to get going really quick here, so there's two things I have to ask about, uh, and I don't know if you were in a back room and and whether you even saw it, but uh, I mean Darcy did a great job. In, in setting things up for the uh, announcement of the Selkie Award winner. But mm-hmm. uh, somebody should have told Anze Kopitar, hey, look back, he, he wants to shake hands with you.
3: Uh, I I was in the main room for that. I didn't have to go backstage for but another 20 minutes after that. So I, I was able to see it. And um, what I noticed was that Anze Kopitar was seated uh, just a little bit in front of where Darcy was. Um, so that once he he knew it was him who won, he just darted for the stage. I, I don't think he meant to slight Darcy by any stretch of the imagination. It just Oh, no just the way it worked out.
1: <laughs> it, was just, it was just kind of <laughs> interesting there. Here's a guy who is known for his sleight of hand, and now it's, <laughs> it's kind of empty there, just hanging. Uh, yeah. And the, the other thing I have to do, Scott, uh, just before we let you go and thank you so much for doing this uh, hockey night in Canada, Scott Oak, who was part of the uh, NHL award ceremony last night, particularly the tribute to the humble Broncos. Uh, uh, could you have ever imagined? the reaction by T.J. Oshie uh, when you were doing the post-Stanley Cup interview, that might be some of the best post-game interviewing I have ever heard. And and I don't know, you're so self-deprecating sometimes you'll probably say I stumbled on that, but could you imagine how, just what great TV that was?
3: Well, that wouldn't have been the intent when I asked it the question. Um, I, uh, you know, always try to prepare to the extent that I you know know one or two things about uh, the player on, on the winning team or players on the winning team so that, you know, we can go a little bit deeper than how do you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had known the story of his father uh, being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and um, he's living in Ebert uh, with his, his sister and, and uh, his daughter, I think. Um, and he's, he was there for the ceremony, for, for the, for the deciding game. So I do got uh, you know, TJ has been upfront about um, his father's condition, so I asked him the question, and uh, you know I had no idea where it was going to go. Um, but uh, upon reflection, you know he's just won the Stanley Cup. His father, who uh, is is fighting this illness, uh, was there to see it. So I guess uh, his emotion uh, took over, and it uh, was just one of those moments.
1: Scott, have a great and safe trip to Winnipeg and enjoy your two or three days off before next season starts.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it starts on Monday, isn't it? Next Monday? (laughs) Something like that, yeah.
1: Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Kelly. You bet. Scott Oak of Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, earlier today, the Winnipeg Police Service teamed up with uh, some colleagues from Brandon and the RCMP. And what they are doing is continuing on the gun amnesty for this month. It was kind of interesting. Some of the things that came forward in the first go-round, we'll find out if there were any surprises in round two when we continue Kelly in for Hal Anderson afternoons. Kelly Moore in for Hal Anderson this afternoon. He returns to the big chair. Well, I don't know if he'll have a big chair out at the Red River X tomorrow, but Hal will be there. I wonder now, I wonder if he's going to do his work in the heat or if he is going to retreat to uh, air-conditioned comfort. I think uh, Hal will probably be the first to admit that air conditioning sounds okay when it's going to be muggy and 30-some-odd degrees. Uh, we were hoping to get somebody on from the Winnipeg Police Service. Uh, I've been in constant uh, contact with them uh, for about the last, oh, two hours or so. They uh, had a news conference today, uh, and this is all part of their month-long gu- gun amnesty, which started uh, back on June the 1st. And uh, there were some really interesting items that were brought in. Let's tell you what gun amnesty is all about. It's being held in conjunction with all Manitoba police services. And what they're doing is they're encouraging citizens to voluntarily turn on all types of weapons, including pellet guns, ammunition. It's all part of this gun amnesty initiative for 2018. Now, if you have unwanted, unregistered, or illegal firearms or ammunition safely and legally removed from your homes. You don't. You know if you don't want to do it, you can call and ask the police services non-emergency number. Uh, you'll be asked to provide some information about the uh, item, and then officers will arrange a pickup time. Items will be safely disposed of. Citizens are not asked to attend police stations in person with the firearms or ammunition. That is for the safety of everyone. I can just imagine the reaction. Some well-meaning citizen is walking to the front doors of the safety building with a handful of guns, wanting to turn them in, <laughs> and, and doesn't quite get the reaction they were looking for. So uh, let them come to you. Don't you come to them. Now, it's also interesting to note, because you're probably saying, oh, yeah, well, uh, then I phoned the police. They come and they get this stuff and I get arrested. No, charges will not be laid against individuals unless it is established that the weapon has been used to commit a crime or was stolen. So you can take advantage of this opportunity right up until the end of the month to dispose of your unwanted firearms and ammunition, ensuring that all these weapons do not fall into the wrong hands. It's kind of interesting. I was just talking about people walking up to the safety building and, uh, you know, wanting to do the right thing. And I was in, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was. Anyway, I was in Salt Lake City. I was back when I was still doing Manitoba moose hockey. And we're sitting on the bus. We're we're kind of in the downtown area of Salt Lake City and waiting on the bus to go to the morning skate. And uh, right next to uh, the hotel we were staying at is this huge parking lot. And, uh, you know, there's a few temporary tents set up like you would see, say, at the fair or, you know, in, in when there's sporting events and there's those uh, temporary tents. So there's about, I don't know, half a dozen of them, let's say, and they're kind of spread out all over this parking lot. And so I'm busy looking at my phone and then looking at the newspaper, then I look up and, and there's this steady stream of people and they're all packing weapons, To this event and it turned out to be a gun trade show and so and I mean it was I I don't want to say thousands I don't know hundreds might even be a bit of an exaggeration but you know there there was a steady there was steady traffic of people uh bringing handguns I I don't know guns so I couldn't tell you the difference between a 22 and a 38 but they were rifles I can I can tell you that uh, and so all sorts of firearms and weapons. And it's just, it, it's a steady stream of these coming into this. Uh, and, and this is in a very public area, uh, right out in the open. You know, there's there's the regular Saturday traffic going. There was a big mall, uh, maybe two, three blocks away or whatever. So there's a lot of people there. And, 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 and so the other half of this story is, um, after the game, I'm uh, with my colleague, uh, Tim Campbell, from the Winnipeg Free Press, and we go for a bite to eat after the game. So it's, I don't know, 10, 10, 30 or whatever. We're not that far from the hotel. And uh, I like having a cold beer after a game. So I, I literally had a sip left of my glass. Like I've got my index finger just above my thumb here. That's about how much beer I had in the glass. So I'd ordered a second one. I wasn't driving. We were taking a cab back to the hotel. Want to make sure that that is out there as well. So anyway, I've got this, just this tiny little bit of beer left in the glass and the server standing there with my, the beer that I've ordered in the tray. <laughs> and I said, no, you can go ahead and put it on the table. And I, I'm sorry, sir, but I'd be breaking the law here in, uh, in the, the state of, uh, uh, Salt Lake city, uh, Utah. And I go, okay. <laughs> so I gulp it up and I asked her, I said, what law would we have been breaking if you had put that beer down on the table? You cannot have two glasses of beer or any kind of alcohol at the same time at an establishment in Utah. Okay. Like, there was literally, I mean, some people would have just said, well, take the rest of the glass away. I'm a cheapskate, so I drank the rest of it. But, so here's the irony in that. People are walking down the streets with all of these guns, you know, rifles and handguns and revolvers and that sort of thing. And... It's business as usual. Ask for a second beer on the table and no go. So <laughs> it, it, uh, it's, it's interesting how the different attitudes. Now, I don't know how many of these mass shootings had happened. I don't remember ha- any happening before that. It was certainly, this was my first go round with CJOB. So this would have been the late 1990s. But, uh, of course, since then, we have just had one uh, tragedy after another. And so I, I wonder maybe if it's a little different in the state of Utah now than it was, say, 20 years ago. But anyway, uh, if you uh, want to take advantage of gun amnesty through the, uh, all the Manitoba police services, you have until the end of the month. Get in touch with them at the uh, non-emergency number and arrange for a pickup. We're coming to the bottom of the hour here, and I've just seen uh, some breaking news out of the National Hockey League. This is not really a big surprise. Uh, We had uh, actually reported this through uh, Arthur Staple of The Athletic New York during the twelve twenty-five sports, but there's a Manitoba connection to it uh, because Barry Trotz is from Dauphin, used to coach the U of M Bisons, and he is now the head coach of the New York Islanders. And what are we talking here? Three days after he stepped down as the head coach of the Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. So Barry Trotz back in the business, uh, coming to terms with the New York Islanders. We'll see if that convinces pending unrestricted free agent John Tavares to stay where he is. If uh, the quality of a head coach like Barry Trotz uh, will uh, convince him to uh, give up free agency. All right, when we return, you are going to hear a delightful young man by the name of Aiden Anderson. And uh, it's, uh, as Greg Mackling said during the last break, it's coming down to the, uh, the short stroke, so to speak, for the uh, Tri Hospital Lottery. So uh, Aiden Anderson will join us next when we continue with Hell Anderson Afternoons. Kelly Moore sitting in on 680 CJOB. Hope you're having a great Thursday afternoon. I'll tell you, your afternoon's going to get a lot better in just a moment here because we have a young man by the name of Aiden Anderson who's joining us, uh, and of course, uh, Greg Mackling's been talking about this being the deadline for the Tri-Hospital Lottery. Today is the deadline, and uh, we also have uh, a Children's Hospital Foundation spokesperson Tanya Williams with us as well. Hi, Tanya. Oh, nice to see you. Well, uh, Wrong microphone. Oh, it's
4: okay. You're getting it's been a while since you've done
1: this. So there you're, doing, we go. you're doing, yeah. a <laughs> doing a great job. Doing a great job. And our poor producer, he's getting a, a lot of stuff in the background there as well. Aiden Anderson, welcome to 680 CJOB. How are you? Uh, good, you. Well, well, you know what? I'm gonna be a lot better after I talk <laughs> to you, that's for sure. Uh Aiden is the media ambassador for uh, the Children's Hospital Foundation. That, that's a pretty cool title. Yeah. Did they give you business cards?
2: Uh, No, that
1: That's is a, one good thing. No? That's a good idea. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, nowadays, I guess business cards are so passe. I mean, that there would just be a signature on your email and that, right? Yeah. Do you have that?
2: Yeah. yeah no, I. I don't.
1: Private parking spot?
2: No. Nope.
1: Special assistant?
2: Uh, does my mom count <laughs> my <laughs> grand, grandparents? <laughs> Absolutely
1: they count for sure. Uh let's let's talk a little bit though Aiden uh why you are here because um you have a wonderful sunny disposition but you have had some challenges in your young life haven't you
2: yeah just a few
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two, two tree as they like to yeah. say yeah so you're 13 years old yeah yeah uh, and and maybe you go back as far as you can remember uh, for some of the uh, the issues that you've had to deal with as a as a young person
2: okay so for me it all started when I was around four years old um I kept having chronic ear infections and lung infections. Um, just something was not right. Uh, so, uh, kept going to the hospital with those chest and ear infections. Nobody really knew what to do because, uh, so one day they decided to take a chest x-ray of me, um, and they found out that I had primary ciliary dyskinesia with situs inversus totalis.
1: Say that again uh, 10 times quickly, but just go on. That is amazing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So for those of us who are not doctors Mm -hmm. at uh, the children's hospital, Mm -hmm. what exactly is that?
2: Um, So basically it means that all of the organs in my body, including my heart, are on the opposite or wrong side that they're supposed to be on.
1: Okay. So what did you do to uh, make that happen?
2: I don't know. No, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's actually another part of it, and it's um, that there's these little cilia, that w- they're like hair-like fiber things yes. in your lungs and airways. Right. Mine don't work. Uh-oh. Yeah.
1: Yikes. So uh, you found all this out as a four-year-old?
2: Yeah. Well, my parents did. And I, your parents did, yeah. Yeah, uh, I had no clue what was going on.
1: Man, I'll tell you, you sound like you could be Dr. Doogie Hauser right now with uh, <laughs> your, your, spouting off all these medical terms. So I... I guess the final uh, analysis of all of this is that explained why you were having the issues you were having. Yeah. And being a lay person for this kind of thing, I'm going to go out on a on a limb and say you were having difficulties breathing.
2: Yes. Yeah, somewhat, and um, that's because of uh, my cilia not working. And I also, and because of that, now I have to have uh, chest physiotherapy twice daily.
1: Yeah, and and I I actually uh, had the chance to uh, take a look at a YouTube uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: with some of the background on you, and and so that that um, uh, some of that rehab, uh, that's that's where you get your side pushed down on.
2: Um, sort of.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. so so what what what's uh, what kind of things do you have to do twice
2: daily then? Um, so there, like, I can just go outside and play with my friends. Like last night, I was uh, out playing basketball with my one friend. Um I can go on my trampoline. I have a special machine called a Pep, which I basically it's basically just I blow into it and it's pressurized air and then I have to do like certain sets and then breathing exercises with that. And my mom also can do a thing called pummeling where Okay. basically just cups her hands and
1: And is that like where you're laying on your side and yeah, yeah okay, so pummeling. That's yeah. that's mm-hmm. what she was doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It, is your mom a pretty good pummeler? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Experience, yeah? No, yeah? yeah. On a on a <laughs>
1: on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate her pummeling at?
4: Um She's probably listening,
2: eh? Yeah, Yeah,
1: maybe. Ten, Um,
2: Mom, ten.
1: Yeah, that. (laughs) Yeah, we better make sure it's ten. So, okay, so you get diagnosed. Yeah. So now you know uh, what the issue is. And forgive me for this, but I'm not ever going to remember the condition that you just said. So so you talked about the cilia and, and dealing with that. What about... The inner wiring, is it okay if I use that terminology? Yeah. That's on the wrong side of the tracks? Yeah. How do you deal with that?
2: Uh, That doesn't really affect me too much. Okay. Uh, It does and it doesn't. Like Sometimes it's harder to breathe and sometimes it's completely normal. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Are there any times where uh, you have been in a in a position where you know you, you've kind of ran out of breath and and you now know how to react to that? Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things you have to do?
2: Um. Well, just uh, get your hands like above your head ish. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. That's usually just what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's so, the, the joke that you like to play on residents at the oh, hospital? Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, there's, uh, so me and this old doctor, uh, Dr. Joe, no. Dr. Dr. Greenberg? Who? Was it Greenberg? It was Gia- Giles. Giles. Oh, okay. yeah, Dr. Giles. She, okay. um, we used to play a, re- a joke on the resident doctors, like the new, like uh, students. The newbies, yeah. yeah. the students, yeah. Um, so we would get them to check my vitals or find my pulse and my okay. heart with their stethoscope. So they would go looking on the left for my heartbeat. They they couldn't find it and they were very very confused.
1: Oh you are such a little jokester aren't you? Yeah. Uh. So when did you finally let the cat out of the bag, so to, the, so to speak?
2: Um, well, after they were very confused, and then uh, the doctor said, here, check check the other side, and then they found it there, and they were both very confused. <laughs> yeah, no
1: kidding. Yeah. yeah. They, they're looking back on their notes, and they're saying, hey, this isn't what we were taught in medical school. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then uh, she would explain to them. Oh, so it was kind of like a learning lesson for them.
1: Well, yeah. How I would imagine this is a pretty rare condition.
2: Uh, yeah, the chances of being born like this are about one in one hundred and thirty thousand.
1: One out mm-hmm. of one hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go out on a limb again, Aiden, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna guess that the reason it's you is because of who you are. You know, there'd be a lot of kids that would be feeling, oh, woe is me, and and feeling sorry for themselves, and yeah. not living a regular life, and none of this has stopped you one iota, has it? Nope. No? Not really. Yeah, you were just saying, you were just out playing basketball. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 Are you able to, to participate in most physical activities?
2: Yeah, most of them.
1: Yeah? yeah. Are there any things that you're not allowed to do?
2: Um, no, not really.
1: No? Nope. Uh, how about tricking residents?
2: <laughs> That's encouraged. <No>?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how much time did you have to spend in hospital growing up then, from what you can remember?
2: Oh, from what I can remember, there's lots lots of lots of time spent yeah. there yeah still sort of is
1: yeah so uh on, a, on an a, in an average month mm-hmm. how many trips to the hospital would you have to make
2: uh,
4: I think it's gotten better as you've gotten older yeah right it has yeah
1: yeah okay so let's let's fast forward to now like is it down to one two trips a month or would that even be a lot
2: uh, sometimes that's a lot it, dep- it all depends on the season like usually when it's oh. switching from like warm to cold or cold to warm weather it's usually not the best Time for me, but yeah, right about now, and like in the middle of the winter, I'm that's good.
1: So, but. the middle of winter, and then the and uh, the start of summer here, the weather's changed, so you're okay at this time of the year, yeah, then as usually. well, usually. Yeah,
2: well, except for if it's really humid.
1: You, well, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that would uh, that would make a lot of sense, so. Uh, when, you're the media ambassador for the mm-hmm. Children's Hospital Foundation. We have people listening right now, and as we mentioned, today's mm-hmm. the deadline for the uh, the Tri Hospital Lottery. We're <laughs> going to hear from Greg Mackling here. Uh, not till he's not in the room, Aiden. Don't worry about it; he's somewhere else. But <laughs> what
4: what
1: wonderful would, guys, <laughs> you, an absolutely awesome person. But what would you like to say to our listeners? Uh, that that might be thinking, oh, you know, should I donate to the Children's Hospital Foundation? Should I buy a lottery ticket? What would you like to say to them?
2: I would say, yeah, donate. Um, donate as much as, as little as $5, as much as, well, however much you can donate, because it helps a lot. Like, it's helps me and a, lo- a bunch of other kids that go there every year.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, just, you're, just you're like not me. the only one, No, right? not at all. Yeah.
2: There's... What I think one hundred and thirty. Yep, you're right, one hundred thirty thousand that came year. last year. Yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah, good job.
1: Yeah. And without <laughs> Children's Hospital Foundation, you probably wouldn't be able to live the life that you're living right now, would yeah, you?
2: Yeah, that is very true. I, we wouldn't know anything. We I would still be having chronic lung infections, uh, ear pains, lung pains. It would just be horrible.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the thing I'm kind of uh, happy about, uh, Aiden, is they're not giving you any breaks. Like, before you came on the air this afternoon, you had to write a math test, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I had a math exam this morning, uh, and then I biked home from there, from my school, came home, and then had some food, and then we left to go here. Yeah. Yep.
1: Well, I, and, and they didn't supply you with a limousine or a, a private chauffeur, grandma or like limousine. That's yeah,
2: that's pretty, close. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> well, there we go.
1: <laughs> Grandma's limousine. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, Aiden. It has been an absolute pleasure visiting with you. Thanks. Yeah, and and uh, I I hope that you are able to continue to live life the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tanya, I know uh, that uh, the Children's Hospital Foundation uh, has to be awfully proud of of this young fellow. Uh, just before we go here. Big fundraiser coming up?
4: Yeah, actually, Aiden and his sister, Ella, have been doing a, a lemonade stand for seven years, and they've yeah. actually raised over $20,000. So it's, Aiden, you give the details. You know it better it's, than anybody. Um,
2: it's a pretty big event,
4: uh-huh. to say the
2: least, yeah. Yeah? Um, and what's so, the address? Pardon? What's the address and time on Saturday? Oh, the yeah. address and time. There's. It's from 9 till 2 this that- this Car- coming Saturday. This Saturday, yeah. yeah. Um, at the south end of Cathcart Street in Charleswood.
1: Oh, okay. I know mm-hmm. that area really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you've raised twenty thousand dollars over the last seven years, what are you charging? About five hundred bucks a, a glass for <sighs> lemonade.
2: Or? Um, it's considerably cheap for how much we've for how much we've made. It's quite cheap. This year, we're kind of changing it up a little bit. It's uh, twenty five cents for a glass of lemonade, and then you can. We also have a bunch of baking from family and. Friends that grandma is donated, <laughs> and then we're selling that too. Yeah, grandmas. Yeah, grandpas. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. I and, and so that's nine to two, south end of Cathcart Street. Yeah, uh, that's uh, in Charleswood this coming Saturday. Yes. Uh, Aiden, thanks a bunch for doing this. Continued success, and uh, we'll look forward to meeting you uh, in the not-too-distant future as the next business mogul of Winnipeg, okay?
2: Okay, sounds good. (laughs) You bet.
1: Aiden Anderson joining us. He is the media ambassador for the Children's Hospital Foundation. We're heading to Montreal here right away because tomorrow night, the Blue Bombers are at Molson Stadium on the McGill campus to play the Alouettes. And earlier today, they announced their active 46-man roster, made four so we thought hey let's uh, head over to Montreal and talk to Bob Knuckles Irving about that uh Knuckles I guess you're not totally surprised to see some of the changes that were made
5: no not at all Kelly I know they've been waiting to sort of give uh Mo Leggett the green light he of course has been outstanding in the last four years he's played with the Blue Bombers Ian Wilde comes back on as well uh Six-year vetted linebacker, Keenan LaFrance, a running back signed as a free agent, a Winnipeg product. He's been hurt all of training camp and preseason, Kelly. So those three, basically the Bombers were just waiting for them to get the medical clearance. Leggett's probably been ready for a couple of weeks, but they wanted to be satisfied that he was, uh, you know, back in game shape. So those three will, they've all been placed on the 46-man roster. I can tell you, they'll all play tomorrow night, Kelly. Uh, Leggett I don't think will start, but he'll see some spot duty in the secondary. Ian Wild will play on special teams and also get some time at linebacker. And Keenan LaFrance, special teams, and he'll spell uh, Andrew Harris periodically.
1: Yeah, As I was uh, looking at those changes, I'm thinking yeah, that helps the Bombers special teams-wise because certainly Mo Leggett and Ian Wilde give him a good jump start there.
5: Oh, no doubt about it. And uh, Leggett's going to return kicks, which... Uh, it's not a surprise he's been doing that, Kelly, in practice the last couple of weeks, although he didn't do it much last year. Uh, but it looks to me like he's going to be one of the, especially with Ryan Langford coming off the roster, to make room. And that was a tough call, I know, for Michael O'Shea because Langford uh, has done a nice job, had a big return against Edmonton the other night, although he fumbled at the end of it. Leggett will up will be uh, returning kicks and uh, Ian Wild of course one of the better special teams players in the league
1: yeah and uh, of course uh, as much as uh, you know we look at the offense we look at special teams but everybody in Bomber Nation uh, wants to know about how that defense is going to fare and I, and I don't want to be insulting in the least to Drew Willie, Bob because when he was here uh, I mean he was about as class an act as you could want but Drew Willie is not Mike Riley
5: well, I can't think of anybody who is, Kelly. Maybe both by Mitchell and certainly yeah. Matt Nichols when he's healthy, but no, Riley's at the top of his game. He was brilliant in that game against the Blue Bombers, although the Bombers were disappointed that, you know, they gave up as many yards as they did. Uh, Drew Willy doesn't have quite the same caliber of weapons, although he's got some good ones. Had a nice visit with Drew today. You'll hear him on our pregame show tomorrow. Likewise, Enoch Mwamba. Enoch will explain why he signed here versus Winnipeg, although the... You know the signature of uh, Adam Big Hill made the the loss, I guess if I can use that term of Mowamba seem like less
1: less well, daunting, yeah, I think we're having some transmission problems here, Bob, are you still there or? Oh, I think we might have lost Bob Irving there. All right, so as Bob mentioned, uh, Drew Willie is going to be one of the people he's talking to tomorrow night. Probably the the new head coach of the uh, Montreal Alouettes as well. And among many others, uh, that'll be all coming your way starting at 4 o'clock on 680 CJOB. While there is breaking news out of City Hall. Boy, I'll tell you, it has been a busy, busy day. Russ Wyatt has just announced that he will not be returning so we've had two councillors now who have uh, made uh, the the announcement that they are not going to be seeking re-election. And Russ Wyatt has been around for a long time. Mike Pactican is another. Uh, during the next hour, we're going to try to uh, establish some contact with Austin Siragusa of Global News TV. He has been covering the goings on at City Hall. And, of course, the other uh, items that are taking place on the plate there today, they were talking about Alex Forrest contract uh, and, and also... a uh, a motion put forward by Jeff Brawati uh, about Portage and Maine. So uh, there'll be some more interesting conversation in the next hour, but we've reestablished contact with Bob Irving. Very quickly, Bob, uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, the Montreal Alouettes. They looked okay for a half against BC, but then uh, uh, it seemed like they ran out of gas in the second half uh, in their opener.
5: Yeah, their defense looks improved. Kelly, offensively, I don't know. It'll all come down to Drew Willie and how he performs. Had a nice visit with him today. He says he's really in a good place in his life. He's very optimistic and confident. So we'll see tomorrow night. You'll hear from Drew on our pregame show tomorrow. Likewise, Enoch Mwamba. This is a big year for the Owls. They were 3-15 and last year. The fans have kind of drifted away. So... Boy, this uh, game for them tomorrow night is pretty significant, as it is for the Bombers, Kelly.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say the Bombers are the only 0 uh, for team in the West, so as much as yeah. it's only week one, you don't want to be locked into that position for too long.
5: No, I don't think if if they did go 0-2, you don't want to panic, but nobody wants to start 0-2. I mean, the history of teams starting 0-2 is not a good one, although lots of teams have come back. So, you know, these 18-game seasons, Kelly, <laughs> you and I both know every game is big, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Uh, It it certainly is, and uh, I know you'll make it sound big along with Doug Brown tomorrow night. Have a great call, Knuckles. Thanks, Kelly. You bet. Bob Irving joining us from Montreal, where the Blue Bombers will play their second game of the season against the Alouettes. Okay, Tristan Field-Jones, will have more for you on what's developing at City Hall on the News. And then on the other side, we're going to be talking about dry heaving in Winnipeg. Four minutes after 2 o'clock, Thursday afternoon, Kelly Moore in for Hal Anderson and Hal will be back tomorrow joining you live from the Red River X. And uh, I have not lived in Winnipeg consecutively since moving here the first time in 1994. But from 94 through 2006 and then uh, back from since 2011, I cannot ever remember a week where the weather was this favorable for the Red River X. So Hell's uh, certainly going to have some fun stories to talk about there. Well, you just heard on the news with Tristan Field-Jones Uh, that uh, that uh, stretch of Donald and uh, Portage rather is still out of commission and so I wanted to talk to somebody from the city of Winnipeg we're uh, awaiting one more call here but I'm going to uh, pop Ken Allen uh, who is the uh, uh, communications officer uh, for public works uh, on the line with us Uh, Ken good afternoon good
6: afternoon Kelly how are you
1: uh, well, I am well. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if uh, you guys are uh, kind of uh, having to adopt the bunker mentality here right now, with uh, between ang- uh, handling all the calls of what's with all the construction and now the heaving roads. Uh, uh, I, I would imagine that uh, it, it's a little challenging
6: right now. Well, it's a it's a very busy time of year for us for sure in the construction industry, and when we get these uh, the heaving pavement, that doesn't uh, improve things. But certainly we've got crews working uh, on making those repairs where the pavement's heaving and trying to get those fixed up as soon as we can.
1: Yeah, as soon as uh, we're able to make contact, we're sure we'll find out if there's any kind of an ETA for that. I'm not sure if there's uh, uh, any way of knowing when that's going to be repaired. So we'll uh, await her call momentarily. Sure, but... and
6: I think she's trying to call call right now. Uh,
1: exactly, yeah. So, we? so Ken, let me ask you this, though, uh, with respect to the construction, uh, because it. It seems like it is more of an an aggressive schedule this year than it has ever been before.
6: Yeah, well, certainly it's it's going to be a very busy construction season. And, uh, you know, we've got over 200 projects scheduled uh, throughout the city in the coming months. And so, yeah, it's very busy and our crews are working uh, hard to get these projects completed in the construction season
1: how many so how many projects are underway right now did you say 200
6: yeah we've got over uh, 200 uh, projects scheduled and there are different there, there are different uh phases of, of uh implementation some are still you know in the final planning stages and others are of course uh well underway on the roadway as uh, motorists can attest but yeah it's going to be a busy season and uh you know we're happy that the weather's cooperating and, uh, you know, we're working to get them done as quick as we can.
1: So, let me ask you this, Ken. When, and, and you know, it's a can't-win situation, uh, I, I think, for, for, for you folks, because we complain miserably about the state of our roads, uh, so then when you start to fix them, we complain miserably about all the construction we have to navigate around. I mean, it's a no-win situation, and it is a short porch uh, for uh, getting these projects done, but is there some kind of a template that is put into place? We know we have to get the work done, but the traffic still has to flow.
6: Absolutely. You know, uh, when we, when we plan that many projects, and I mean, right now when we're talking 200 plus projects, we're really talking about roadway construction. You know, we also have our projects that are undertaken by the water and waste departments. So, you know, uh, sewer rehabilitation work and water main renewals and that kind of thing. Plus there's a lot of work that goes on uh, by the various utilities. So, That that said, there is a lot of work planned, and so our engineers, whenever they're planning a project, they develop a traffic management plan to uh, to go with their project, and they factor in things like uh, the type of project, the location, the traffic flow, other projects that are scheduled in the area. And although sometimes it may seem that that the projects uh, may not be as well-coordinated as you would think, there is a lot of planning and coordination going on to get all this work done in a single construction season.
1: All right. I think we've finally been able to make contact now with the uh, acting uh, manager for uh, streets and maintenance, uh, Cheryl Anderson. Cheryl, sorry for the uh, roadblocks we put up. In, 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 oh, in your, no problem. No <laughs> problem. Trying to get through. It's, it's almost like na- navigating around uh, uh, the construction. Uh, maybe just bring us up to date, though, if you can, uh, on those two heaving pavement uh, situations at Skirfield and at Donald and Portage. Yep,
4: yeah, we uh, responded to both of those and made them safe and secure to start with. And we have had crews deployed, and they are removing the the pavement and replacing it. I know the Donald one or Donald and Portage one that they're trying to have it have it open tomorrow evening. Um, they're anticipating to open it then, and the Skirfield one will be following after that.
1: So we, we've we heard the explanation that it, they are heat-caused, but what is it that the heat does that causes the the pavement to, to buckle?
4: What happens is concrete's a, a rigid pavement, and it's a material that uh, when you have heat, it expands, and when you have cold, it contracts. And so what happens with these when you have a, uh, a system, a weather system with high temperatures for longer periods, it causes this to uh, to expand, and if it has nowhere to go, it it abuts the other piece of pavement by it, and it, it either heaves or buckles or shatters or cracks.
1: And I and I would presume. But uh, because it's your bailiwick, I, I'll, I'll ask you this, but I would presume there's not really any way you can forecast, oh, we know that uh, uh, we're going to have some buckling pavement now on, on St. Anne's Road. I mean, there's just no way to predict this kind of thing, I would imagine.
4: No, you can't predict these types of heat-related conditions.
1: But uh, with is it because it's older uh, pavement? No, it, or it...
4: No, it can happen to to any kind of concrete pavement. It it depends on how how much room that pavement has to move to expand.
1: So, just to repeat, you're hoping to get Portage and Donald open by tomorrow night.
4: That's correct. A-
1: and Skirfield.
4: I'll have to follow up on that, but I, I'm yeah. assuming it'd be qu- around that time also.
1: Great. Thanks a bunch for this, Cheryl. Much appreciate that. No problem. You bet. Cheryl Anderson, the acting uh, manager of maintenance and streets. Uh, Ken, just before we let you go, uh, you've uh, talked about uh, the fact that this has been, uh, if it's not been the most aggressive construction schedule uh, that we've seen in the city of Winnipeg, certainly right up there. Uh, for some of the the areas that have uh, uh, caused a lot of Traffic situations. What are the what are the long term projects that people are just going to have to settle in and deal with uh, for? Uh, I would say what a year, eighteen months, or whatever. Uh, what, what's on the plate there?
6: Well, you know, in uh, in terms of projects that are going to start this year and continue on next year, we've got a couple that come to mind. We've got the work going on on Firmore between uh, Archibald and St. Anne's. That's a two year project, and. Uh, and uh we're going to be keeping one lane open in each direction while that's going on and and during the winter months it'll get back to normal traffic flow uh and the other one is the work that we're going to be starting on empress uh street which is uh going to start this year we'll do about half the project this year and then i finish it up next year in 2019.
1: Yeah, how are we making out on ellis?
6: ellis avenue is coming along we're uh we're looking to wrap that up uh, in the next uh, number of weeks, and uh, it'll be nice to get that project completed and get traffic flowing on Ellis like usual.
1: For sure, yeah. And are, are most of these projects on time, uh, Ken, from what you know?
6: Oh, yeah, the weather's been cooperating. I mean, we had a little, little bit later than usual uh, start to construction just because of the colder temperatures back in May. Uh, it's hard to remember those cold temperatures now when we're having <laughs> a bit of a heat wave, but, uh, you know, things are moving along and progressing well. And when the weather holds and we don't have uh, inclement weather, it, it goes a long way to making sure that we get the projects completed on time.
1: And I know sometimes it feels like we're the only ones battling this, but of course, because there is so much traffic, we know there's fellow Winnipeggers involved. But uh, uh, you and your colleagues go through every bit of the uh, long delays at rush hour in the afternoon and the morning that we do, Correct.
6: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I always, you know, I, I, uh, I spend a, a fair bit of time in traffic on Pemina Highway myself. And I always have to think of it as short-term pain for long-term gain. We've got all these compro- construction projects to complete in a short period of time, short window. And so, you know, my best recommendation to Winnipeggers is to, you know, just understand that it's, uh, it's going to be busy this year. There's going to be construction delays. So the best bet is to, you know, plan your route ahe- ahead. Uh, look at alternative uh, routes to get to your destination, allow additional travel time. And I'll tell you, we really appreciate uh, everyone's patience, patience while we work to complete these important infrastructure projects.
1: Well, sometimes when it's 30 or 31 and it's been a long day, it's a little hard for that patience, but it's always good for a reminder. Ken, thanks so much for doing this.
6: Yeah, thanks so much, Kelly.
1: You bet. Ken Allen, who's the communications officer for Public Works. All right, one of the things, uh, I mean, I'm not Hal Anderson. I'll never be Hal Anderson. The, the guy is uh, well, hes the 34th most famous Canadian. But uh, one of the things he did do, though, is he left me some prizes to give away. And we're going to give away the first of those two prizes when we return on the other side of what's going to be a good-looking weather forecast. Kelly Moran for Hal on 680 CJOB. We forgot to tell Mr. Big Voice, Hell's not working today. Uh, Getting a well deserved day off. He will be back with you tomorrow from the Red River X. (laughs) That's a great gig. And it's only going to be mostly cloudy tomorrow and very warm. All right, time for tough trivia. Chance to see and hear this lady, Melissa Etheridge. Yeah, and if you want to reach Melissa Etheridge, now is the time to do it. It's tough trivia. She's going to be performing on July the 8th. I think that's a Sunday night, but it's July the 8th for sure at the Club Region Event Center. And uh, our tough trivia question 3% of workers say they spend $25 or more per week on this. What are they spending? or more per week on. That's 3% of workers. I think hell left me a muffin. No, And it's not muffins either, by the way. And make, for goodness sakes, make sure you get the number right, 780-6868. I know a lot of times we get calls into the newsroom. So 204-780-6868. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. And, man, I hope I don't screw this up. Hi, you're on Tough Trivia.
7: Hey, how are you,
1: how you doing? I am well. It's not Hal; it's Cal, but you're close. What's the answer, please? Uh, Cal, I said Cal. You didn't hear it. You heard hell. <laughs> hey, uh, okay, so
8: my answer is, uh, what was the question again, please?
1: Oh, uh, the question is 3% of workers say they spend $25 or me, uh, more per week on this. What are we talking about? It's got to be coffee and donuts. It's got to be one of the two, so what's it going to be? Coffee. Coffee. I told you that was a muffin. <laughs> who's calling? Chris. Chris, are you a Melissa Etheridge fan, or do you know Melissa Etheridge fans? Oh, yeah, my wife's a fan of
9: anything.
1: All right. <laughs> All right, well, I think I happen to know who's going to be going to see Melissa Etheridge July 8th at the Club Region Event Center. You hang on the line, Chris, and uh, your particulars will be taken care of by our producer, Jeff Forche. Just while we have a few minutes here, uh, Austin Siragusa from Global News TV was going to try to join us from City Hall. But it is smoking down there right now, and it has nothing to do with road construction or heaving pavement or anything else like that. Uh, They have had a number of things on their plate. So I'll get you to weigh in now, and it doesn't necessarily have to be by phone. You can also text. But uh, as Tristan Field-Jones mentioned in our news the, th- the here's the two things that really stood out for me. Uh, number one, uh, that Jeff Brawati wants to put forward a motion uh, that we have a vote on the opening of Portage and Maine. So the first question I'll ask you, do you think it's a good idea to vote on this, yes or no? And you can text me at 204-780-6868. And the other question I have to ask you is uh, we know now that at least – three city councillors, and probably four are not going to be back. So that's a fairly significant turnover. Maybe the voters would want to have that kind of turnover anyway. Uh, but uh, with Russ Wyatt and Mike Pactican announcing today that they are not going to be back, and these are these guys are veterans at the table, is is that going to be a good thing for the city to have that many new faces sitting around the table? And who knows? We we could have a new mayor. It may be with the same mayor because Brian Bowman is going to run for reelection. But we know that Jeff, or sorry, Russ Wyatt, Mike Pactican, Jenny Gervasi, and probably uh, one other will not be back. So there there could be a total of four new city councilors at least. And the texts are, text messages rather are starting to come in at 204-780-6868. Bob says, heck yeah. Let's vote on it. Let's vote on Portage in Maine. Let's see what the populace says. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Mark says, uh, use your Facebook page. It takes seven seconds to make a poll. Let's get a feel from the public. Okay, well, we could certainly do that. But I would rather know what your immediate reaction is right now. So 204-780-6868, yes, for voting on opening Portage and Main. So it sounds like, uh, well, I mean, this is just a couple of uh, uh, early reactions here, but it sounds like uh, at least uh, people uh, would want to have the chance to vote on that rather than it being done arbitrarily. And uh, Jean wants to weigh in. I knew uh, all you have to do is mention Portage and Maine, and the phone lines start hopping. Jean, uh, do you think it's a good idea that we're going to vote on this?
9: Well, I think it's a good idea if we're going to vote on it, provided the next council is held accountable for what the outcome of the vote is. If it's, if it's just a vote for the sake of a vote, then it's a waste of money even uh, printing it on a piece of paper.
1: Yeah, well, and, and again, I want to I make sure that it's understood. This is only a motion that's been brought forward to include yes. it uh, for us to vote on. Yes. So you're yeah. saying... You're...
9: there's no point in bringing it forward unless it's for us to vote on. And the next mayor and council is required to, uh, you know, follow through with what came as a result of that vote. So follow The other the... thing is the whole bunch of new council members, the unfortunate thing is if it's Mayor Bowman... It's going to be a whole lot of people uh, brown nosing to try and get on his side. So we may see some things going on right after the election that maybe people in the community won't be overly really happy with.
0: Okay, thanks,
1: Gene. I'm going to move along the phone lines here. Ed, uh, very quickly, a good good, good idea or 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 does it uh, not bode well for the city to have that many new at least that many new councilors aboard and maybe more.
6: Well, I think it's time for it to maybe change to some councillors. And getting back to the Portage and Maine, I think it's a waste of money. Our infrastructure, streets, sewers, water lines are all deteriorating because they're of years old. Let's put the money to that. Yeah, no, no, and no, I but, oh, see, but,
1: but what we're, all, the, all we're asking is, yep. is it a good idea, like would you agree that it's a good idea to allow Winnipeggers, when they go to vote for a mayor and council, that they mm-hmm. can also vote on Portage and Maine? That's all I'm asking, yes or no?
10: Yes, vote yeah. on it.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Bye. Bob, what do you think?
10: Yes, and it would be a no answer.
1: So no, you don't want people to vote on Portage and Maine? No,
0: yes, I want them to vote and no would be the answer. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay.
1: Thanks. I'm glad I asked twice there. Carl, what uh, what's your take on that?
5: My take is I want to see first of all, I would uh, I guess it would be alright because council has not acted responsibly that I guess we should then since we're going to the polls vote on the issue and I would vote no, we don't need uh, any money spent on portage in Maine. But the main thing I would like to see, I don't regret any of these counselors that are retiring or, or going on to other things. Uh, I want to see fresh faces, and if it means the whole new council... All the better for the city. Okay. I would like to see term limits on all elected officials, not only in the city but the province and uh, okay. the federal government. Yep, Carl, we're up against it.
1: Thank you. I'll take one more call here, Ward. I'll let you weigh in because you've called in. Uh, yes or no? Is it a good idea that we, if if it goes yes. through, is it a good idea to try to get uh, it set up so that we can vote on Portage in Maine?
10: Yes, I agree. We uh,
3: we uh, we're using our tax dollars. We should have a say in uh, something as important as this because it's going to cost a lot of money from what i understand so it should be on the uh for this election great it should be on the bowl
1: okay thanks ward okay thank you appreciate your input uh and uh, we'll continue more of this conversation as we go along in the afternoon I, I i know the minute the minute all you have to do is say portage and maine and boom everybody has their dialing fingers going uh but uh i i think that uh, we can safely say, I I don't remember one person saying, no, no, let's not vote on Portage. I mean, let's let's let them do whatever they want. (laughs) I think the people do want to have a say. News is next. And then coming up on the other side, uh, we're going to be talking about summer jobs and maybe one that's not as easy as we think it is. We're just waiting to uh, connect with uh, someone from the Manitoba Life Saving Society. And the reason I wanted to do this is because it's the first day of summer, and I thought, man, oh, man, uh, favorite summer job. What was my most favorite summer job? And I would have to think that picking berries was certainly uh, one of them that uh, I I really enjoyed. Uh, It was out out in the patch, and you met a lot of new friends, and every once in a while, we'd goof around and throw berries at each other. I uh, also had a chance to work in an ice cream shop for a while, and that is, <laughs> that's is—that's a lot of fun. Uh, but I also thought, you know what, lifeguarding, I think that would be a really cool thing to do in the summer. You know, I mean, you're sitting up in a big chair, slapping on the suntan lotion, getting a, getting a great tan, and, and then uh, watching people play and have fun. How, how much better could it be than that? I thought, mm, it's probably not that easy. So we uh, have uh, made contact uh, with Kevin Tordiff, who is the acting CEO and also the operations manager uh, for the Manitoba Life Saving Society, and who also just happens to be a lifeguard himself. Kevin, good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, and you? Oh, couldn't be better. I was, Hi, just, I was just reminiscing about some of the great summertime jobs uh, that I had as a kid growing up. Uh, and and lifeguarding was one thing I never did. Lifeguarding okay. was one thing, though, that I thought it it would have been a lot of fun because eh, I mean, there's nothing to it.
7: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's a, a lot of people think that, but um, I don't know if I would say that, having uh, lived it for years.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's start with then. What does it take to be a lifeguard? What kind of uh, checks and balances do you have to cross off to even get into that chair?
7: Yeah, well, there are a number of certifications that you need to go through. Um, the first off of them is uh, the Bronze Medallion and Bronze Cross training programs. And a lot of people are familiar with those because they're often the, uh, you know, some of the last ones that they participate in when they're, they're going through learning to swim uh, programs. Right. And then uh, from there, you get into taking your National Lifeguard Service um, certification and that program is um it's about a 50 hour program that you go through and and it's judgment based and you you do scenario evaluations and and there's physical skills that you need to master as well as uh first aid and water rescue skills
1: okay so how long of a process is that
7: well like i said that course in itself is about 50 hours but um generally we tell people it's about it's going to take you about 200 hours worth of training um, you know, if you're, you know, you decide tomorrow you want to be a lifeguard, um, it's going to take you about that 200 hours to go through all the different programs and certifications you need because you also need to hold first aid certification and CPR and learn how to use an AED and that kind of stuff these days.
1: And and so, from uh, the perspective of of sitting in that chair, I know if you've ever spent some time on a beach, you know yeah. that there are shift changes and that sort of thing. So what's right. the, what what's the, the the protocol behind that, uh, Kevin?
7: Well, the idea is uh, when you are up in a chair and then, you know, there are uh, at pools, we see those lots. There are very few of those out on beaches in Manitoba. Um, but uh, for the places that do have them, the key is you actually have to be quite vigilant um, because you, you're up there, you've got to keep an eye on everybody that's out in that environment, constantly watching, looking for uh, signs of distress, or uh, even we'll train lifeguards to simply look for changes when things seem to change try to identify if it, is it because somebody's about to be in distress or uh, a hazard has cropped up or something like that. So it can be very tiring, especially out in the sun, you know, staring at, uh, at water and people all day.
1: So uh, what would be uh, the, uh, the, the regular time limit then? Would it be two hours in the chair, 45 minutes in the chair? Does it vary um, from location to location?
7: Oh, well, it, it certainly can vary, but we like to say that, you know, you probably shouldn't spend more than an hour, uh, you know, in an observation role, uh, and then you need to change things up a little bit, um, just so that you stay fresh and, um, you know, you're, you're able to react to things that you're seeing, you don't know, just become commonplace.
1: And what's more demanding, public beach or public pool?
7: Well, I, you know, I spent a large portion of my lifeguard years as a beach safety officer out on Grand Beach and Winnipeg Beach, um, so I'm going to say the beach um, because, you know, we don't have the same type of ratios uh, that you see at a pool. You know, uh, at pools, there's a limit to how many swimmers per lifeguard you can have at a beach. Sometimes that number, you know, was as many as 1,000 swimmers for every beach safety officer out there. Um, So there were a lot of different challenges. It's a bigger environment. It's a natural environment. You can't control uh, the water, uh, the sand, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right?
1: And so what's the ratio then uh, at a public pool?
7: At public pools, it's 30 to 1. So 30 swimmers, you need to have a lifeguard on on deck. Or for every 30 swimmers, you have to have one lifeguard on deck.
1: Yeah, so that's a, uh, uh, those numbers are a little easier to deal with than what you just described with the uh, uh, the public beach. Um, yeah. So now the skills for a lifeguard, you talked about the yeah. training that goes in, uh, in in learning how to swim. You, you can't just be an average swimmer as a lifeguard. Uh, you, you'd have no. to be an exceptional
7: swimmer? You, you have to be a pretty strong swimmer. You know, I, you know, I think if you've, if you've done a lot of swimming in your days, um, you should be able to meet that standard. I always tell people who are looking to become a lifeguard, I say, listen, the first thing, go to a pool, hop in the water, swim 20 minutes nonstop. If you can swim 20 minutes nonstop, you've got a good chance of honing your skills uh, and abilities to become a lifeguard. But if you can't pull off that 20 minutes of nonstop swimming, uh, you're going to be challenged.
1: Okay, so it's not a job that just anybody can do.
7: No, you need to have specific certifications. I like to call it the profession that isn't a profession.
1: Right, and, but and what I mean that by that, though, Kevin, over and above what you have to accomplish, it's it's not for everybody. Like it, I would imagine right. it takes a special type of person to be a lifeguard.
7: Yeah, you know, I think so. You know, we we see a lot of like A-type personalities or, or go-getters. Um, that uh, get involved in the beach program, Uh, you essentially got to think your job is on display every minute of every day because you're out there in a uniform, very visible, and everybody's watching you. Um, You know, that's uh, a lot different than um, even being a server in a restaurant, let's say, you know.
1: (laughs) No kidding. So with all of that in mind, where are we at with the state of lifeguarding in Canada right now?
7: Well, you know, Canada uh, right now is uh, we're there is a bit of a lifeguarding shortage uh, in Canada, and we're trying to um, you know improve the number of of certification programs that are out there being delivered and getting more people engaged uh, in in swimming programs, which then lead to lifeguarding programs. The Life Saving Society has been managing a national standard in lifeguarding in Canada for more than sixty years, and we're just at a point where we're starting to see governments say. You know, anybody can start to deliver lifeguarding programs, or there are other programs out there, and that's that's actually hurting the lifeguarding uh, um, industry, I think.
1: So, and I would imagine Manitoba would they be comparable to to what you've just described uh, nationally?
7: Yeah, essentially. You know, uh, in Manitoba, the National Lifeguard Certification is is a recognized certification for lifeguards, and the vast majority in Manitoba. Are hold that National Lifeguard certification.
1: And I understand your office is just hopping right now because you're getting ready for a yeah. big northern program.
7: Yeah, that's right. We hire um, seven staff generally every uh, summer that are, are lifeguards and instructors. And, um, you know, with funding that we get from Health Canada and the provincial government, uh, we're heading up to northern and remote communities that don't have ready access to swimming education or, or don't have pools to go into those communities and teach survival swimming skills the, the most fundamental you know how to save yourself uh, in a near drowning incident um skill sets
1: right and, and we just had a recent uh tragic drowning incident yes. uh, uh in the north so uh you know un- unfortunately that can't be prevented at this particular time but with this program you've just described uh, yeah. hopefully we can't, there, there'll be more prevention of those kind of stories.
7: Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? When we look, we've been delivering that program for 13 years and it's had a significant impact on drowning incidents in the north over those 13 years. So it's encouraging to see that, you know, when we talk about access to swimming lessons and education as being a major factor in reducing drownings, it's absolutely true in Manitoba. We've seen that that happen.
1: Kevin Tortoff, uh, a lifeguard. Acting CEO and Ops Manager uh, for the Manitoba Life Saving Society. Thanks a bunch for doing this. And, I, and, and I'm going to guess that uh, your favorite job as a kid in the summer was what you're doing right now, lifeguarding?
7: Yeah, you betcha. Putting <laughs> the sunglasses on and standing on a beach.
1: Yeah, you bet. Kevin, thanks for this, and thanks for the you education bet. on it. Kevin, Take care, anytime. You bet. And, and by the way, if you're interested in getting involved as a lifeguard, the Manitoba Life Saving Society is the place to go. And it's uh, very easy. All you have to do is Google that. And uh, uh, certainly Kevin Tortiff and the rest of the gang there will help you get pointed in the right direction. So as we go to break here, your favorite all-time summer job, what was it? And uh, the, the goofier, the better, as far as I'm concerned. You know, may, maybe it was parking cars at one of the big fancy hotels, maybe at the Fairmont, at the Fort Gary, uh, or, or or maybe it was washing cars. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other uh, different kind of summer jobs. But uh, if there was one in particular that stood out for you, uh, and uh, I don't know, after you heard about lifeguarding, maybe is, is lifeguarding now no longer something that you would have wanted to do as a summer job, or has that inspired you even more so? to want to do something like that. 204-780-6868. I would be very interested to see what some of the submissions are. You can either call or you can text as we go to break here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. Talking about favorite all-time summer jobs. And uh, we've uh, got a few callers lined up here at 204-780-6868. I'll read your text messages in a moment. George, your best all-time summer
0: job. Well, it's not my best, but it was my first. Okay, <laughs> I, I worked at a turkey farm north of our place, and I got paid twenty-five cents an hour. And it was that uh, catching turkeys to, uh, or the would beak them, and then they'd uh, put them out on a range for them to for the summer.
1: So, what did you have to run after these things in a pen, or what was the? Well,
0: yeah, they're in an enclosure. You just had to grab their feet and then take them over to the guy that's beaking them, and then it, uh, they put put them in a. T- in a wagon or whatever, and take them out to a field and uh, put them in a field that they can't get out of. And uh, but uh, I got paid twenty five cents an hour. <laughs> I could. And that's fifty four years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, that'd be a a while ago. Uh, I and yeah. I could see as you described that why it wasn't necessarily your favorite all time summer job. But yeah. it, was there anything, George, along the way that you thought, oh man, I wish I'd have done that?
0: Uh, not really, no. I. I after that, when I got old enough, I would, I would uh, uh, throw hay bales up on a rack, and uh, uh, when the farmers were making hay, and I got paid a little bit more more for doing that. Eh? But it was, I was a little bit older too. Eh? But uh,
8: <laughs> right on, yeah.
0: But uh, that that uh, worked worked in my wrist muscles and everything because I like playing my hockey and uh, I liked uh, baseball too. Eh? So
1: right on. Well, that certainly helped with that. George, thanks for sharing that okay not a problem you bet Su- susan welcome to the show your favorite summer job growing up
8: well it was my first job i had just graduated i got a job with dairy queen in morden manitoba All right. And, uh, i to this day i get a kick out of it whenever i have or see somebody order a banana split because it never failed i'd make the banana split and i never put the banana in <laughs> and nobody ever came back. I'd see the banana sitting there after, and I'd say to my boss, I did it again. Oh. And he just whipped his hands, and I'd recall the number. I would do everything I could think of, and nobody ever came back and said, I did not get my banana.
1: You know, my parents owned a Dairy Queen, and I I made a lot of banana splits in my day. Uh, And I think if I remember remember the order, uh, you'd have to go uh, chocolate, strawberry, pineapple? That's correct.
8: Yes. Yeah. So anyway, it wasn't, you know, it was a really nice super job, a good staff, good boss at the time. So it was... uh, I, I still got a chuckle,
1: chuckle out of it now. So yeah, good good start to get involved in the workforce for sure. Was there anything, uh, Susan, just before we let you go that uh, you thought, man, that would have been cool to do? I wish I had done that for a summer job.
8: Uh, no, I can't think of anything. Yeah, I've done a variety of things. I was an LPN at one point. I was a welder at one point. I've done a variety of jobs, uh, and uh, I loved every minute of everyone.
1: Great, thanks for sharing that, Susan. Much appreciated. Okay, thanks. Bye. You bet. 204 if you want to weigh in as well. Uh, let's take a look here. My summer job in high school was a government-funded job painting barns for farmers in rural Manitoba. Got a really good tan, uh, but had paint mostly in my hair and on my skin all summer long. Yeah, you were supposed to paint the barn, not yourself. You know, just as I'm thinking here, and and this wouldn't necessarily be as a kid. This would be maybe as a uh, younger person, uh, you know, going to university and that type of thing. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I don't know if you could do this for a summer job, but working on a cruise ship, you know, if it was seasonal or something like that, I think that would, it, and again, if you've had, you know, you don't have any ties and that type of thing and uh, uh, you're just kind of on your own, I think that would be a great. How about working on one of those tour trains that go through the Rocky Mountains? The, uh, what do they call it? The Rocky Mountain Ranger or whatever it is. Anyway, uh, Rocky Mountaineer, that's what it is. I think that would just be an absolutely awesome job. It would be hard work. There's no doubt about that. I I don't think that uh, uh, everything looks as easy as it uh, appears to be on the surface, but those are a couple of things that come to mind for me. And it's interesting talking to George working on the turkey farm. I think I was 13 years old. And uh, my parents had uh, decided to, with my younger siblings, decided to go to Disneyland. So uh, the lady that was looking after us, she and her husband and their older sons, they ran a farm. So uh, I got put to work. I think my parents were away for about a month or something like that. And I got put to work on the farm. And my job was to milk the cows. And this wasn't with one of these uh, modern milkers. This was get down on your knees with the stool, work those udders, and uh, and get it going into the machine uh, eventually so that it would pump the milk. But uh, I, I learned how to do that and uh, actually did it pretty well uh, and and enjoyed it. There was, there was a point there, and it, it was only for that uh, particular moment when I was doing this that I thought, hey, you know, maybe being a farmer wouldn't be bad. Uh, but that I would also practice my play-by-play. And right away, any thought of becoming a farmer was uh, out the window. Terry, uh, what's your uh, favorite summer job memory that you want to share with us today? Hello, Terry. Oh, hello. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, uh, Bell It's in the St. Regis Hotel, at about 1971. Okay. 70. Okay. And what were you doing? Yeah. Bellhop. A bellhop.
1: A bellhop. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's kind of a vanishing job now. Although I guess at some of the hotels they're still kicking around, eh?
0: Well, no, that
1: one's gone now. Oh, no, no. I know the St. Regis, but I think you'd still see bellhops at, say, places like the Fairmont and Fort Gary, the Radisson and the Delta and that sort of thing. That was an awesome
0: job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Get lots of tips?
0: Uh, Yeah, quite a bit, Jeff.
1: Yeah. Uh, What was the best part of that job, Terry, just before we let you go? Uh, all the girls that work there. <laughs> oh, Terry, you dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you asked
1: me. I did for sure. Yeah. You got me on that oh, one. Yeah, we had,
0: we had a lot
1: of fun. You betcha. Thanks a bunch for that. Uh, you know what? I, and, and as I think of it now, how about being a valet? Think of all the fancy cars you could settle into if you were a valet for a summer job. You know, if you want to keep it going, dream summer job would be to work at the zoo. Yeah, thanks for that, Teresa. I think that would be a great job as well. Uh, if you want to keep the calls and the texts coming, we do have to break for news. So uh, if you want to uh, try us right after the news, we'll uh, we'll keep this conversation going. And uh, also uh, coming up uh, after we uh, take a look at the news, we're going to have a chance for you to win more Tough Trivia again. Here it's Kelly in for Hell on uh, Hell Anderson Afternoons. I think I'm just going to curl up on a couch somewhere. (laughs) I might get to work quicker. That's your best bet at this point, Uh, I think. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, as Tristan mentioned, though, 781-1320, if you want to uh, report anything that you see in traffic. Right now, the magic number to know is 780-6868. We're going to play a little tough trivia here for tickets to go see Craig Ferguson on October the 25th at the Club Regent Event Center. This guy is incredibly funny, wildly entertaining. It'll be a great night for you. So, 780-6868, here is the question. The average person will consume almost their body weight in this per year. What is it that we're talking about? 204780 please phone 7806868 not our newsroom that happens all the time they it's it's funny the phones will just start ringing off like oh. one of the guys is doing a contest because somebody got the newsroom number all right let's go to the phone lines hi who's this oh, i think Yeah, we missed that call. Let's try this. Hi, Tough Trivia, 680 CJOB. Hi, Uh. Hi, it's CJOB for Tough Trivia. It's Brenda. Is it water? It is not water. That was a good guess, but that's not it. Our question is the average person will consume almost their body weight in this per year. What is it we're talking about for a couple of tickets to go see Craig Ferguson? What do you think?
9: Hi, Kelly. Potatoes?
1: Potatoes? That is not the right answer. But I'll tell you, I would probably be <laughs> be among those who've done that. Hi, Tough Trivia, do you have an answer for us? Would be tea. Do you have an for us? No, that's not it. Hi, Tough Trivia, do you have the right answer for the question we're asking? Is it sugar? It is not Sugar. And I want this to be very specific. This one's going to be harder. The first one was really easy, so this one's tougher. Uh, Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Shirley. Hey, Sherry, the average person will consume almost their body weight in this per year. What is it we're talking about? Is it bread? It is not bread. But nice try. Hi, do you have an answer?
8: Uh, Yes, I do. Would it be sugar?
1: It is not sugar oh darn sugar is kind of you're on the right track though hi CJOB. is it meat uh did you say meat yes no that is not it hi CJOB. Well,
10: oh, that is not it i got a guess hello i got a guess for the tough trivia question
1: okay what is the answer for the tough trivia question
10: is it salt
1: it is not salt but you're on the right – it's kind of the right idea, but I have to be very specific here. Hi, Tough Trivia. Hey there. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Is it fat? It is not fat. Darn. Okay. Uh, Thank you. You bet. You're welcome. Okay. Let's, let's do it this way. Uh, the initials for this will be F-A. F-A. For what the average person consumes – Almost their body weight in per year. Hi, tough trivia. Oh, boy, gone. Uh, The initials are F-A to help a little bit here for tickets to Craig Ferguson. What do you think? I'm thinking it's chicken. You're thinking, sorry, it's what? Chicken. Chicken, but that doesn't start with F-A. It's two words, F-A. I
10: missed
1: that too, I had the radio turned on. Okay. Hi, CJOB, tough trivia. What do you think? Statch? No, uh, the initials are F-A. It's two words, F-A. The average person consumes almost their body weight in this per year. Is it me? No, yeah, it's you. Yeah, and what's your guess? Pastry. No, not pastry. F-A are the initials. Like it's the first word starts with an F, the second word starts with an A. Hi. Hello. Yeah what what's your answer? Was that the hint? First word is F. Second word is A. That yeah, the first word starts with an F. The second word starts with an A. Oh man, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Hi, tr- tough trivia. What do you think?
10: I'm guessing fatty
1: acid. Not fatty acids, but now we're on the right track. Hi, CJOB. Hi there. Yeah, what's your answer? Very quickly. Folic acid. No, that's not it. A- acid is not the right word. I'm going to, because we're starting to come up against the clock here. Okay. Okay, so food is the first word. Food. Food. And the second food. word starts with an A. Food additives. Hey! Hey! Hell told me it was going to be tough work, but holy smokes. Yeah. The, it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, the average person consumes almost their body weight in this per year, food additive. So you have just won a pair of tickets to go see Craig Ferguson on October the 25th at the Club Region Event Center. Congratulations. Terrific, Hell. Thank you. You bet. Okay. I'm going to try not to lose you. So I'm going to put you on hold. Jeff uh, Forche can take down your information. And just uh, taking a look at. Um, Some of the uh, other uh, uh, entries that we've had at 204-780-6868 for favorite summertime jobs. Audrey says, I was a lifeguard, a junior pool attendant for the city of Winnipeg at the Norwood Flood Bowl on Lindale Drive where I grew up, uh, closing after this season. also that's going to put a bit of a tear in Audrey's eye. But, boy, it was great pay, not hard work. Sounds like that was a great job for Audrey. And uh, I know some of the ones that uh, I was uh, just jotting down here, uh, how about working at the golf course? Whether it's on maintenance, driving the beer cart—that would be fun. Drywalling—I tried that once. After about half a day, they said, "From now on, you're the coffee guy." Uh, working in the lawn care industry—that'd be fun too. Working in a cafe. Uh, young Eric, who's our intern here from Ursin College, says washing dishes was one of the summer jobs he had. And I think this would be a tough job. It would be boy, the hours would just drag on. You'd have to find some way to stay focused. But flag a flag person. Uh, so uh, keep them coming if you uh, care to, 204-780-6868. We'll continue with more of Hal Anderson Afternoons. We're also going to check out uh, what's going to be happening at the NHL Draft, which starts tomorrow as well, coming up this hour. And one of the best guys that you've ever heard on the radio is going to be back tomorrow to uh, bring you the show live from the Red River X. So uh, Hal will be back then. Uh, just while we have a couple of minutes here before we uh, uh, take another break, uh, I was a little late getting into that last one. We uh, we had uh, well, we had. well, a little bit of a go of it for, for tough trivia, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, uh, so just a couple of seconds here or so for more summertime jobs. Uh, somebody texted in at 204-780-6868. And I always try to mention a name if there's a name included, but uh, so I'll just say thank you, listener. Uh, a bee f- a farm harvesting honey. And we, we actually bought one of those beef hives uh, to put in our backyard uh, with the hope that we can maybe attract some bees because I know that uh, uh, it, it's kind of a, a serious thing as far as the bee population is concerned right now. First summer job was on a strawberry and asparagus farm pulling weeds, picking berries. Uh, the favorite part was when I got to sort the berries for the pecked uh, basket. I brought my little chocolate fondue pot and fired up that bad boy midday. <laughs> That is a way to spend the summer. Holy crows. Uh, my boss at the front of the shop would smell the matchlight, the candle, and run back to have a dip, berry. Oh, that is just a fantastic memory. Thank you for sharing that. That is excellent. Uh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. I was a car hop at the N.W. in Steinbach when I was 15 years old. I worked long enough to buy my first bicycle. It took me about three months, but I did it. They used to call me Speedy Gonzales because I was and I still am. Oh boy, I'll tell you, there's some great memories of summertime jobs here. I didn't realize it was going to be that popular, but I am fantastic. I'm happy that it is. Uh, Wesley writes, my first summer job was picking up scrap metal off of the um, something when I lived in Montreal way back in the 70s. I moved to Winnipeg in '86. Even though I, yeah, it—that's it, the trouble with some of these texts. They get uh, scattered here, uh, so it's hard to. Even though I get out the water, sit back, open a bottle, and have a few. That is beach life in the winter. Okay, Wesley. Wesley kind of goes on/off uh, on, off on it a little bit there, but uh, still, so uh, I. I I remember the car hops at AMW. I'm old enough to remember that. I don't know if uh, if a few of you are, uh, but uh, I always thought that was uh, that was kind of a cool job as well. So if you want to uh, chime in on that, you certainly can. Summertime jobs because today is the first day of summer, and. Uh, uh, even favorite uh, summertime places. I know Kathy Kennedy was doing that earlier on. A lot, and it's amazing. A lot of people just like spending time at their backyard. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people where their, their favorite place for the summer is going to be the cottage. Sitting on a, I can't imagine how good that is, either in the morning getting up with a cup of coffee and strolling down to the end of the dock watching the fish jump or at the end of the day, with one of those bevvies that Wesley was just talking about, also watching the fish jump again. Uh, Thank you for sharing your memories, 780-6868. Take another break and then be back with the sports in just a moment here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. 23 minutes in front of 4 o'clock. Kelly Moore in for Hal Anderson. And uh, we mentioned the uh, temperature, 32 degrees here. I would imagine it is every bit as warm as that in Dallas we're going to head there now because Mitchell Clinton of Jets TV is joining us. He's in Dallas for the NHL draft, which uh, goes uh, tomorrow night and then on Saturday. And Mitch, uh, for the first time, uh, I guess it's uh, it's going to be uh, uh, observer status for the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to round one of the NHL draft.
10: Yeah, kind of a kind of a different feel, definitely going in, going into this year's draft. That's for sure, Kelly. Uh, obviously, I mean. The, the success that the Winnipeg Jets have had in the first round uh, is has been well documented, but uh, they've they've had been able to find some some really good gems in the second and, and later rounds as well. But yeah, that that first round is going to be quite different as we kind of see all the logos come up uh, in in all the spots that they have and and not see a jet logo up there at least uh, for the time being. You never know what's going to happen, but uh, at this point, yeah, no first round pick. So uh, Friday should be interesting.
1: Yeah, but uh, what, what's the, and, and when I say the temperature like in Dallas, I'm not talking about the degrees, but <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the hockey temperature like in Dallas? Uh, do you expect it from uh, what you might've heard? I know you just got in there a few hours ago, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the hockey talk, does it sound like there could be some wheeling and dealing? Because I keep on hearing after the first two picks that it could get a little interesting after that.
10: Yeah, it's, it really depends on kind of who you ask. Uh, I mean, the the, the Finn Yesbury, Kotkinami uh, is is one of the guys that's getting talked to a lot, talked about a lot just in terms of uh, where he might fall. He's kind of been uh, middle of the range in terms of uh, where his draft ranking was earlier in the year, and then just just recently, his name has been one that's kind of been shooting all the way up, and he could go in the top ten depending on um, who you talk to. So. He's one of the names that uh, that's kind of standing out uh, right now. Um, of course, Rasmus Dahlin is is the one that everybody's talking about in Buffalo, holding down the number one pick. All indications uh, would be that they'll pick him, but yeah, you got to wait till the actual day comes. But uh, it's exciting. I mean, obviously, the the news of Barry Trotz going to the New York Islanders uh, this morning was kind of the the one thing that kind of kicked off uh, some of the news that's been going on this weekend and. Uh, The general managers, Kevin Chevaldeoff, of course, uh, will be in the uh, general managers meeting that's getting underway momentarily here. So uh, once he talks uh, shortly after that meeting ends, we'll have those comments on uh, WinFigUS.com.
1: Right on. yeah. And have you heard anything at all of what – usually there's one or two really hot-button items that the GMs are talking about, but uh, uh, is there much on the table for them there? Do you expect it to be a long, hard, drawn-out meeting between those guys?
10: Well, last we heard from uh, communications guy uh, Scott Brown here with the the team is he's expecting uh, Kevin Chevaldeoff to be available around 6 p.m. Central time. So they're going to be in there for a good two and a half hours. Uh, One of the things that I've uh, seen on Twitter, uh, just about being talked about is goaltender equipment. But uh, we'll wait to see kind of what uh, what, what Kevin Chevaldeoff says comes up. Because that's one of those things that sometimes you kind of hear some nuggets uh, throughout the week of what might be discussed. But until they come out, uh, sometimes it's interesting that the the subject that you think will take the longest is one that they just kind of touch on. And then they end up getting into something much deeper than maybe they even they anticipated. So I'll be curious to kind of hear what Kevin Sheveldayoff has to say when he comes out uh, of the meeting around 6 p.m. Central time.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking as much as, you know, the, the Jets do have some players that weren't able to get to the lineup on a regular basis. And, you know, it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out that uh, some uh, heavy number crunching is going to be done over this summer. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it also doesn't sound like there's a lot of players in the draft this year, Mitchell, that would uh, inspire Kevin day off to, to move some of those assets uh, uh, as far as uh, maybe getting a first-round draft pick back.
10: Yeah, and I think that's what's going to kind of be interesting to me over the next uh, little while here, uh, especially as you allude to a, a first-round pick. I mean, that's, these are all the, the conversations that uh, Sheldayoff and uh, Larry Simmons and, and Craig Heisinger, the, the assistant general managers, uh, would have had with their, with their amateur scouts uh, in terms of getting their list together. Uh, those meetings, uh, to my understanding, have been done for, for a little while. And what they're doing now, and, and especially into this week, uh, is meeting with their pro side because, as we all know, that that signing season is upon us, and the the number of RFA's that the Winnipeg Jets have uh, that have to get uh, under contract or negotiated with uh, is quite extensive. So, you, you know that they're going to be putting a plan together, uh, plan together over the course of, uh, or at least finalizing the plan that maybe they've been piecing together for the last little while here over the next couple of days.
1: You bet. Well, I'll be interested to see what you come up with on Jets.com with no first-rounders. So uh, (laughs) maybe maybe you'll have some good uh, uh, cooking tips from Dallas. Mitchell Clinton, I know you'll always uh, come up with something interesting, though. Thanks a bunch for doing this and enjoy uh, things down in the heart of Texas.
10: Yes, no problem, Kelly, anytime.
1: You bet. Mitchell Clinton from Jets T V joining us from Dallas, the site of the NHL entry drought tonight or sorry that tomorrow night and all day Saturday as well.